Welcome to Hidden Tracks with Robin LaRose, the little heard stories behind the music, the artists, and their work. Hi, welcome back to Hidden Tracks. Before we get rolling with Brian Adams, just a reminder to please subscribe to the podcast. Let me know what you think about uh, this one or any of the other 13 episodes uh, we've already done. Lindsey Buckingham, Roger Waters, Robert Plant. Uh, you can leave your comments here and or at Robin LaRose Show or email me at rlarose at rock101.com. It's always great to get feedback from you. And there's a lot of guests coming up on Hidden Tracks as well. Next weekend, as a matter of fact, special guest Robbie Robertson, the uh, main singer-songwriter guitarist for the legendary group, the band. He's also a solo artist, author, musical collaborator uh, with director Martin Scorsese, whose uh, latest film The Irishman is out now. So that's the uh, next weekend, Robbie Robertson. And that brings me to uh, Brian Adams, who just turned 60, uh, May 5th. He's been on uh, the Shine a Light World Tour since, uh, I guess, May of this year. His 14th album, Shine a Light, was released in May of uh, 2019, and the tour has taken him all over the world. South America, Europe, uh, North America, and he's currently back in Europe right now. Born in Kingston, Ontario, raised in uh, South Korea, Japan, Israel, uh, then Ottawa. Uh, His dad was in the Army, by the way. And at age 15, in 1974, moved to Vancouver. His first band he uh, sang with, the band Sweeney Todd, when he was 16. Check out this remake of Sweeney Todd's uh, first big hit. Nick Gilder, original singer and member of Sweeney Todd, but this is Brian Adams on vocals. Flashlight dream, peaches and cream delight. Roxy Roller. And then Brian met a guy named Jim Valance at 18, instant connection. They started writing songs, Brian started his own band, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Brian is one of the most prolific singer-songwriters in the world. He's sold more than 75 million records now. I also forgot to mention he's a photographer. He's got a couple books out, producer, philanthropist, activist, Juno winner, Order of Canada and British Columbia, and a really fun guy to talk to. Brian Adams on Hidden Tracks. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. Great, great. How are you? Excellent, thanks. Thank you so much for taking uh, time out of your, uh, I am assuming, busy day. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty busy. It's cool. Yeah? You just uh, you just got off the road, sort of, right? You were back in New York, and uh, Bruce said you were at uh, the Beacon the day I was talking to him. Yeah, we, we've just been um, touring and uh, up to Vancouver to see if we can catch some rain. <laughs> and there's lots of it today for you. Yeah. Has anybody talked to you about why uh, I'm calling? Um, I'm, I'm doing a radio series, uh, and we're, we're stopping in Vancouver. Last time it was in London for a week of, right. uh, of shows and talking about the, all of the great music and albums that came out of London. Right. And this time uh, the tour is stopping in Vancouver. Right. And I had Bruce on the show uh, yesterday and tons of other people like uh, Harlow and Rocket Norton from Prism and Mike Reno and uh, some of the engineers from Mushroom. And I said to Bruce, um, I hate to ask, but I got to get Brian on the radio and on this series as well. Sure. Because you're such a big part of the Vancouver music scene. You got me. So there you go. Thanks for taking the time. And I know you, it's time is uh, tight here. Um, are, are you recording at the warehouse? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I do. I set up my bed tracks here and just try, you know, try, you know, tracking here and then take it on tour with me and, and finish it on tour. 
Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty extensive tour, I understand. You're going there, and then Italy, and then Europe, and where are you wrapping up? In London? There's no such thing as wrapping it up. We just keep going. <laughs> yeah, I guess it isn't, right? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's lots of things to do. There's, there's a lot more shows to do this year. I mean... It's pretty, it's pretty full on. Well, it has been for about a quarter century now for you, I know. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Jeez, I mean, I was pouring through over, over bios, which I always do before I talk to people, and it's, it's always really impressive to see, my God, Brian, you've done stuff for like 25-plus years, and starting out in this town, too. And the warehouse is one of those things that I was digging into, uh, and the history uh, for this is pretty colorful, too, as you are well aware of uh, the studio and the building that uh, you uh, refurbished and tore down and built up again to uh, what it is now. Well, right? I didn't tear it down. I did, I did the opposite. I saved it from being tear, torn down. Exactly. Uh, it was going to be turned into a parking lot. Yeah. And um, uh, I, I guess I was, I was into it at the right time. There was, there was, uh, there was nothing, nobody really that interested in, in preservation here back in the 80s. Um, in Vancouver, and I, I made a few, you know, I uh, wrote a few letters and just basically made myself aware of it. And then I thought, you know what, the best way to, to really put my money where my mouth is is to actually do it. And I found this, I found this building here, um, which is, you know, it was in a real state when I got it. Yeah, man. It actually had been burnt, uh, had been completely burned on the inside. But luckily, somebody tried to renovate it before me. And it and had done some sort of like a seismic upgrade, which is you know to stop earthquakes from taking it down. And they'd done a little bit of that work to it. And when we removed all that sort of upgrade, we we found that they'd in, by doing it they'd saved the floors. So we the original floors are still in the building, which are great. That's really really cool. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have been they would have been cindered. Yeah. Now, before uh, the warehouse in Gastown, you were doing a lot of stuff out of your place, right, in, in West Van? I used to record at home, yeah. And before that, um, where did you record in Vancouver? Little Mountain? and other Yeah, Little Mountain, Little Mountain Sound. And that was, that, that was kind of what I would do there was I would cut my tracks there, and then um, I would go off to New York and finish the record in New York. Right. Certain studios obviously have a certain feel, right? Atmosphere and vibe to uh, the whole recording creative process, right? Um, well, I think the only thing that I've ever, only criteria I've ever had for recording is just that um, I didn't really care about the, um, you know, the technology so much. I just wanted a space that had, um, you know, had a, you could put the possibility of getting a, a good drum sound. And um, after that, it didn't really matter where you record. That whole thing about you have to have a insulated room is just, you know, I've never really paid much attention to that. I've always just wanted to get a space where the band could fit in. What about Mushroom Studios here in Vancouver? Did you ever uh, do anything there? Um, I, uh, my, one of my first things I ever cut was at Mushroom Studios, um, and it was just Jim Valance and I, and we, we did a track there called Remember. Um, it, it was 1978, though. Can you remember the first time you met Valance? Was he still with Prism, or was he just fresh no, off? No, um, I met him in a music store on 4th Avenue. Really? Yeah, and um, he was with somebody that I knew, so I didn't, know, I didn't know who Jim was or anything, and I just walked over to say hello to her. So you meet Jim Valance uh, through a girl that you wanted to meet first, and... No, I already knew her, and, and he was talking to her, so I just went over and introduced myself, and... And uh, then it was like, oh, you know, next thing you know, we became uh, acquainted. And then the next day, uh, 
went got together and wrote a song. Really? Yeah. Literally that quickly. That's crazy. It was just it was just it was so natural, and um, I can't even explain how natural because it was just immediately as soon as no sooner did we get into a room we were writing songs together, and uh, we wrote a lot of songs. <laughs> Played it till my fingers bled Was the summer of 69 No kidding. I understand, at least uh, through one of the websites, your first video for Remember was shot in Vancouver. I think it was around 1980. Do you remember that? Um, That's according to this website. I was just wondering if you remember where you I shot it. I don't remember. Okay. I, don't, I remember, uh, oh, maybe there was, maybe there's a video, maybe, yeah, there was a couple of things um, messed around with, um, but it was at a nightclub, I think. Do you remember what nightclub? If my memory serves me correctly, it was at the body shop. Really? Yeah. Wow. Do you remember um, other, uh, you know, the club scene, the Vancouver music scene uh, back then, 70s, late 70s, 80s, when you were just starting out, I guess basically just cutting your chops on stage and, uh, you know, honing the sound before you went into the studio? You know, the other night I, I, I bumped into Quincy Jones, who I'm sure you know who is. Yes. Great, great producer. Yeah. And I told him, because he's from Seattle, and I said, oh, yeah, I'm from Vancouver. And he's like, oh, well, that's cool, because I remember Vancouver. And I said, yeah, and did you ever play? Because I played up here, and he said, I played up, and, he, and them telling me he played The Cave, which is one of the gigs I played a long time ago as well. Really? And, of course, The Cave doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, on Hornby, yeah. Yeah, um, and he remembered it really, really with great, with great uh, affection, so that was quite nice. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of the music scene at that time, I mean, it was happening, right? So things were uh, kind of uh, getting off the ground. Uh, well, I remember that time... <clears throat> Uh, as being sort of, there was a lot of different groups. You know, there was Lover Boy, and there was um, yeah. uh, Prism, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't really think who else. Might have Trooper. Mm-hmm. And at that sort of, sort of late seventies, early eighties yeah. time, that's I think that's pretty much it, really. Yeah. There were a lot of clubs, actually, as opposed to now, and there really aren't any live venues outside of the no, Commodore. the club scene doesn't exist like that anymore. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Well, it's just the times. I mean, yeah. I mean, there was just a lot more interest in live groups than there is now. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, it's really changed. Uh, the days when you were getting off the ground and opening for the Foreigners and the Super Tramps and stuff like that, um, you remember those days at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, really, really, uh, you know, it's just great to had a gig <laughs> i mean it was fun of the, one of the things i remember most distinctly about um those that time period was sometimes we were doing three gigs a day we would be doing a noon hour radio broadcast mm-hmm. uh and for an hour and then we'd do we'd open up for somebody um at seven thirty, and then finish that gig and then go over and do a club gig from you know 10 o'clock till one o'clock in the morning yeah so we were in some, but particularly in America, we were doing those kind of shows, that kind of that kind of re, that kind of uh, regime of three shows a day. That's a lot of shows in one day. Yeah, it was. I mean, I mean, it wasn't like that all the time, but I just remember, I just never said no to a gig. 
Bruce was saying that um, anything Brian puts his uh, hands on, uh, he's going to excel. He's going to be uh, um, um, a superstar. He didn't use those exact words, but he said, your passion, your work ethic is uh, pretty intense, and I'm assuming um, it hasn't changed since you started out. Well, I mean, I, only, I mean, I just love what I do. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't think of it as work ethic. Yeah. I just think of it as just, you know, I need to make this as good as it can be, and whatever I got to do to do that, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll put whatever time I need to do. And, you know, when I was making records, um, I used to always be the last one out of the studio and the first one in. And I suppose I'm still like that. Um, but that's just how I am. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to love what you do, and you obviously do, and the passion just follows through on that. So I spend a lot of time with just the songwriting to try and make it as good as possible, and it's great now because you can. It's way easier to make things, uh, to mess around with things because you can do it all on the computer. Um, the downside of that is that you end up spending a lot of time messing around with things. <laughs> <laughs> so you know you were limited before once you had a tape, and that was it. So you could do you could mess around with some things, but after that you'd have to recut it or you had to. Uh, you know, try chopping it up, but it's much easier to do that now. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, you, you you come back to Vancouver and do some bed tracks, then you take the stuff with you, and wherever you are, you sometimes just go into the studio and... and well, no, what I do is I, I travel around on tour, um, because my day my days on tour can be quite, uh, you know, boring, sitting around in a hotel waiting for a show. So yeah. I have a portable studio, which I take with me, and during the day, I just, I just mess around with songs, and... I, I take the tracks because you know everything can be put on a on a laptop now. Yeah. Um, so just take the take the laptop and and uh, a microphone, and just work on things on tour. That's fascinating. Yeah, I made my whole album last last uh, last album. The last album did it all in uh, in. Um, in hotels. <laughs> Brian is a big user of social media. He likes to tease uh, songs that he's done, is doing, and uh, what's coming up next, and where he's going to be on social media as well. I'm going to be on Facebook Live. You better tune in at 7 p.m. I was talking with Richard Cole, who uh, used to be with Led Zeppelin, the tour manager for a dozen years. I don't know who that is. We were talking about uh, the day they uh, came into Vancouver, 1969. They uh, were working on Zeppelin II, and they had the master tapes with them. And uh, they stopped uh, into Mushroom Studios and planted the harmonica for the track Bring It On Home. Oh, really? Yeah. No kidding? Yeah. How cool. Yeah, very, very cool. <laughs> So in some ways, things definitely have really changed drastically, and in other ways, no, because you're still on tour and you're still working on new albums, and you're just putting it on a computer now. Yeah, except, you know, I can remember dragging two-inch tapes with me around, but I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Those things used to weigh a ton. No kidding. <laughs> um, I, I also noticed, and I haven't seen anything, you've never done anything live in Vancouver. Um, we never, you know what, we, we don't think we've ever recorded, other than the, the thing we, we did... Um, a few years ago for for charity. I don't think we've ever recorded a live show here. Why not? I don't know. I, I just think sometimes it's just, uh, it's it's kind of the more obscure places that end up getting recorded, you know, like mm -hmm. like the things I have done have been in Belgium um, and Portugal and and we've done some things in the UK. Yeah. Um, there was some strange recordings done in like upstate New York early on. There And, and then there's... Um, 
uh, what else was there? This, I think there was might have been one or two things in Germany, uh, Tokyo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's all over the place. No kidding. It uh, is. Yeah. Oh, um, oh, no, we did do some recording here, actually. I'm thinking about it now. I recorded a video here years ago uh, for a song called When the Night Comes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it, that, was, uh, that was an additional sort of bonus thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done a whole concert, on the whole, but it's a good idea. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's my idea for you. Thank you. <laughs> I'll mention it to Bruce Allen. Okay. What, what do you think, um, at least back in the day, and to a certain degree still today, but not as much as back in the day when you were starting and in the 70s, what made Vancouver so unique as far as uh, a music mecca? And there was just a ton of stuff going on here. I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I, never, I wasn't really plugged into the scene, um, like... At all, in fact, at all, I was I was really young and uh, in the seventies. I think the thing that was best about Vancouver was what we talked about earlier: the fact that there was many, many places to play, and <clears throat> therefore there was a lot of groups and bands coming up all the time. And there was a great circuit um, throughout BC and Alberta, and a little less so towards you know Ontario. Certainly um, on the west coast, there was a lot of bars that, that bands could play. And live music was really alive because of it. And I think because there were so many venues to play, it, it uh, inspired a lot of musicians to take it a step further. And um, myself being one of them and, and having the venue to do that and, and sort of grow out of that, you know, a lot of great music came out of it. So I, I blame it on the live scene. Yeah. I asked Bruce if it would ever come back and he said no. I don't think uh, that unless unless there was a sudden upswing in um, in you know, club owners wanting to have live bands, I don't I don't see how it could. Um, but you never know how things can turn around. That's for sure. Your photo, uh, your photograph, uh, uh, your books, just uh, they're great. Thank you. <laughs> um, when's the next one coming up? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I mean, it takes such a long time to put a book together. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't really have an ambition to, to put out books unless. You know, they really are. Is there demand for it, right? Well, not even such much demand for it. Just, you know, unless there's a real... Uh, unless it's, like, it's like putting an album together. You have to put as much time into that as you do putting an album together. And yeah. um, it's, it's a lot of work. So I, I think that if, 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 they start put, if the pictures start, putting, start coming together and it looks, it looks like it could be a, a book, then perhaps down the line I will. But at this point, I'm just I'm happy to just sort of you know, go along and do things Yeah, um, as they come up. Well, you're doing well. Thank you. It's a pretty fascinating career, Brian. <laughs> Thanks, man. It'd be really cool to see you in a club here sometime. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the first club I ever played um, in Vancouver on my own was the Savoy, and it was on the corner of, I think, it's in, that, in Gastown. It used to be upstairs. It was an upstairs club. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think it exists anymore. I don't know what it is now. But um, it's right across from the statue down there of, of Gassy Jack. Yeah. And there's a little, uh, there was a place called the Savoy. So, you know, it's not far off from where my studio is now. So yeah. it's kind of nice to be down here. You've played the Commodore before, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I played there once, uh, once or twice. Yeah. Um, there wasn't really any bar in this town I hadn't played Uh and, and and that reaches out into New West and Burnaby and you know many of the many of the clubs that you know if there was a club stick me in it you know. <laughs>
<laughs> I guess um, because of so many gigs uh, later, there's just not one that sticks out in the early days for you, huh? That was just like, wow, that was great. What, 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 one particular club? Yeah. I think the cave really was kind of fun because it was just such a, it was, it was like the upscale club, you know. If you got into the cave, then you really, you, you, you must have something going on. And that was, that was always, that was a great vibe. And I remember also Whispers in North Van was a good place as well. That's gone. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. The, the really, you know, if it depend, sometimes it would depend on what night of the week it was. If it was Monday night, it would be slow. <laughs> if it was Saturday night, it would be great. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, I mean, for me, all I wanted to do was get out of the crappy clubs into the better clubs. Yeah. You know, I think I did that. You certainly did. <laughs> good God. Tenfold. I asked Bruce uh, his favorite show of all time that he's seen in Vancouver. I think he said James Brown and or John Mellencamp uh, uh, most recently. How about you? Well, the best show I ever saw here? Yeah, I mean, when you Oh, you're... I saw so many great shows here. That's I mean, what he El said, too. Elton John, 1973. Yeah. Led Zeppelin, uh, David Bowie, um, James Brown at the... I saw James Brown at the Cave. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, Tina Turner at the Commodore Ballroom. Yeah. Uh, God, there's just so many. I, I used to go to gigging all the time. I used to go and see gigs all the time. So, um, I mean, in, in, you know, all the bands in the 70s, if they came through, I was there. Do you see anybody when you come back to town? Was I have a great story. My, I remember seeing Deep Purple at the Peony, uh, not, not the, um, not the, not the... Coliseum. Not the Coliseum. What's the place next to it called? Um, there's the Agrodome. I, I saw, saw Deep Purple at the Agrodome, and, um... At one point, Richie Blackmore, the guitar player, leaned over into the audience, and his guitar, someone grabbed his guitar and pulled it into the crowd. <laughs> and, and then a bunch of roadies jumped on them, and they pulled the guitar back on, and they, they gave it back to the guitar player. But, you know, years later, I was, I was talking to Keith Scott, my guitarist, and I was saying, I remember seeing Deep Purple at the Agrodome. He goes, oh, I was at that show. I said, you remember, this, you remember the point where Richie Blackmore... You know, leaned over and someone grabbed his guitar. And he goes, "Yeah, that was me." <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> he's such a great guitar player too, Keith. He's amazing. Good God, he's been with you forever. Yep. Unbelievable. I love him. You've got a great band too. Thank you. And uh, continued success, Brian Adams. All the best, man. Thanks. Nice talking to you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk with you too. Have a good weekend. You too, man. Bye. So there you go, Brian Adams on Hidden Tracks. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Currently on the road with his never-ending Shine a Light tour. Shine a light, shine a light, shine a light, shine a light, shine a light. Everywhere you go, shine a light, shine a light, shine a light, shine a light, shine a light. Coming up next week, the legendary Robbie Robertson. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Hidden Tracks podcast with Robin LaRose. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your podcasts.